Only Love Chica, host of Practical Torah, a show of Rebirth Radio, where each week we will reflect on the Torah reading, pulling out inspiration and wisdom for our everyday lives. This week's Torah reading is from Genesis chapter 23 to chapter 25, verse 18, and is entitled, Chai Sarah, which means Sarah's life. In this Torah portion, Sarah has died and is being buried. The lengths Abraham goes through to bury her shows how important she was to him. So as we get to the end of Sarah's life, let's examine some key lessons we can glean from her journey. So Sarah and Abraham were actually half-brother and sister. They shared the same father but different mothers. Their father was named Terah, and he sold idols in the land of Ur. So the first item we should know is that Sarah was not raised as a Hebrew. She was not raised reading Torah, but she and her husband were actually raised in an idol-making family. And many scholars believe this was a royal family, and that is why they married, because among royals in the ancient Near East, you would marry within the family to keep the bloodline. So Sarah, like many of us, did not grow up in a home of Torah. Sarah was a princess, a matriarch of the Hebrews. She gave birth to the Hebrews. And some say she was a priestess in the spiritual system her and Abraham were raised in. They say this because of some of the incidents in Sarah's life, the fact that she conceived at a later age. And we don't know for sure if she was a priestess in the idolatrous system that they were raised in, but it is interesting to think about. She died at 127 years old and was mentioned in the Bible often and was the first woman mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, which many theologians call the Hall of Faith. Sarah was buried in the cave of Mishpalah with her husband and successors, and the whole chapter of Genesis 23 is dedicated to describing her burial site, showing her importance. We have to realize Sarah and Abraham were not raised in Torah, as I said earlier. Though Abraham may have been taught about Yah from a Shemite family member, his parents were not teaching him this. Some sages say that when Abraham crossed over, he started to teach monotheism to the men and she taught monotheism to the women. Sarah and Abraham are what I like to call a woman and a man in transition. They are crossing over, not only um, to the land of Canaan, but they are crossing over from idolatry to the worship of the one true Elohim. And this transition may be why they conceived so late. Think about it. What if they conceived Isaac before crossing over and leaving their idolatrous father in community? 
Maybe Isaac would have been raised in idolatry. See, what we have to understand is the story of Sarah and Abraham is actually a bridge between prehistory and history. Israel is not yet a nation, just a couple who has crossed over. Sarah and Abraham spent a great deal of their life migrating from Ur and Mesopotamia to Canaan, and they stop at Egypt along the way. They were strangers more than once, but when they made stops, they built local sanctuaries in Shechem and Bethel to Yah and encountered him. They as the matriarch and patriarch of the Hebrew people were strangers in strange lands. And so we today should not despise the stranger and the immigrant like many teach. If you are following Torah, you are actually commanded to welcome the stranger and the immigrant among us. The journey to Cana with stops in Egypt mirrors our own journey as Hebrews moving from Egypt to Israel and Cana. The sages taught that we as Hebrews would go through what the, ma what the patriarchs went through. And I would add what the matriarchs went through as well. So if Abraham and Sarah had to cross over from Ur, stop in Egypt, and finally make it to Cana, is, is it no mistake that we had to cross over from Egypt to Canaan land or Israel as well? So you don't despise the transition. Don't despise the delay. Just stop and give thanks to Yah along the way. Sarah and Abraham show that it is sometimes in the journey that you take the greatest act of faith. Y'all may be prompting you to move somewhere. Y'all may be prompting you to move to a different job, to a different school, just to a different level of faith in him. And sometimes we see the destination as holding the blessing. But what if the journey and the lessons we learn along the way is what teaches us the lesson? Sarah had authority. This is proven by the fact that Abraham went years without an heir and only took a concubine when Sarah requested it. When Genesis chapter 16 verse 2 is accurately translated into the Hebrew, it states that I shall be built up by her. And Proverbs 14.1 says a wise woman builds her house. This shows that the mother is extremely important and that Sarah saw the children she and Abraham would have as her heirs. So anyone saying that it only takes a Hebrew father to make a Hebrew or a Hebrew womb doesn't matter, they don't understand Torah. Because Sarah did not say, let me, you know, take my handmaid so your house could be built up. But she actually told Abraham so her house could be built up. When we look at Hammurabi's code, which was a code of laws that existed in the area and time where Sarah and Abraham lived, we see that it was very common for a priestess wife to give a slave girl to her husband to conceive. But Yah did not want this, though the culture allowed it. See, part of Sarah's mistake was that after getting the promise from Yah, she did not wait and depend on him, but tried to obtain the promise through the wicked ways of her culture. And Abraham silently went along with her, so he was wrong as well. As women of Torah, we must not try to get our promises through the, the ways of this wicked culture, but through Yah's culture, which is the word of Torah. Sarah and Abraham were both growing up in idolatry, 
and they had to abandon all they knew to live better and to please Yah. The effects of the idolatry they grew up in on their lives was the lies they told to the king of Egypt or the pharaoh of Egypt and the king of um, Abimelech um, through the sexual immorality that they practiced with those kings and through Hagar being brought in and wrongly treated. Yet Yah chose them, but he did not bless them with a son until I believe they were purged of all of those idolatrous ways of being. But Sarah did not lose her royal status when she turned to Yah. No, actually, she became a queen mother to an entire nation. See, with Sarah, one key part of her life was not only giving birth to Isaac, though she laughed when she heard the messengers of Yah tell Abraham that this would happen, but another key moment in Sarah's life is that she got a new name. And in Hebrew culture, like African culture, your name signifies something you will be or a characteristic in you. Your name is extremely important. My name is only love, like the phrase, I only love you. And my family calls me Chika, which is Ewe for wealth or gold, or Ibu for Yah is supreme and Yah is above all. Names are important and names can even usher you in to your destiny. My name, Chika is very common among some of the Hebrew tribes I work with in Africa. <clears throat> among the classified names of the Bible are those known as sacramental names, and they are so called because they were names given by Yah himself or under his inspiration in association with a particular promise, covenant, or declaration of his as to the character, destiny, or mission of those distinctly named. Thus, a sacramental name became a sign and a seal of an established covenant between Yah and the recipient of such a name. Two Bible characters bearing sacramental names are Abraham and Sarah, both of which signify the gracious purposes and promises of Yah. The wife of Abraham was originally known as Sarai, meaning princely or princess. Elson C. Smith suggests it may signify also contentious or Quarrelsome, so quarrelsome princess. But her name was changed, not accidentally or by the whim of the bearer, but by Yah himself, that it might be a sign of his purpose. Her name was changed to Sarah, implying a princess or the source of nations and kings or a chieftainess or a captain or a commander. So basically, Sarai went from being a, a quarrelsome princess to Sarah, a commander or the source of nations and kings. In some translations, it's rendered queen. It is observed that among the Hebrews, there was a sort of Kabbalistic translation that the Hebrew letter Yod signifies the creative power of Yah in nature, while the letter He symbolizes the state of grace. That state into which Sarah had entered after receiving the covenanted promises. The promises of ancestorship of many nations came with the change of the name Sarai to Sarah. I will bless her and she will become nations. She was thus associated with her husband in the great blessing of the covenant, whose name was also changed from Abraham to Abr from Abram to Abraham. 
The former original name means a high or honored father, the latter a father of many nations. The Apocrypha speaks of Abraham as a great father of a multitude of nations. The root idea of Sarah means to rule and fits the personality of the bearer. It was a name intended as a seal of the promise given to Abraham. Kings of people shall be of her. Paul has an allegorical reference to Sarah as one who typified the good news of Messiah. Jerusalem, which is above, which is mother of us all. Galatians 4.26 Thus Sarah was to be the princess, not only because she was to be the ancestress of a great nation, literally, and of many nations spiritually, but also because the rank and the power were to be possessed by her descendants, or rather because the people descended from her, were to be ruled over by a regal dynasty, by a succession of kings of their own race and lineage, which are derived from her. Sarah was born into a royal but idolatrous family, but Yah redeemed Sarah and expanded her royalty to include his grace. Yah shows this through changing Sarah's name. Yah works through families. So do not be ashamed of your family of origin, even if past generations fell into to idolatry. Yah also redeems through families, which is why before he is even born, we are told of Yahshua's genealogy into Gospels. As women of faith, you can build households of faith like Sarah. And as men of faith, you like Abraham can be a father to many not only physically, but spiritually. I love that Yah gave Sarah a new name because we'll go on to read in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17 that he will do the same for us. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. While among the Igbo of, the, of Nigeria, it was an honor to have an Eze, who's like a king, write on you with white chalk. My friend, Hebrew elder Cletus Okoro, told me this white stone is the same stone being talked about in Revelation. In Ghana, during festivals, queen mothers write with white stones on visitors, and people wait hours in line for this honor. But who is waiting for the day when we will get new names? If you're excited to go to Africa and have a king or a queen right on you with the white stone, how much more excited will you be when Messiah does the same for us in the kingdom? Sarah and the Hebrew matriarchs played a key role in protecting and passing the bloodline covenant to the next Hebrew generation. Sarah was born into idolatry, spent most of her life barren, and gave birth late at about 90 years old, and only had one child. Often in our communities, women who don't have children are looked down on, but most of the matriarchs had children late. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and many Hebrew matriarchs had less than four children. We do not know how Yah used Sarah to help Abraham as they crossed over during her years of barrenness. What if there was a particular time Isaac had to be born? And if he came earlier, that may have hindered Yah's total plan for salvation. Sometimes what seems late to us is on time for Yah. 
Often people push us in life and deem that we are too late, but Yah may delay certain promises from happening for His glory. Trust many talked about Sarah's barrenness. Trust that people probably hated on the princess who seemed to have it all except for a child. Some will talk about the one thing you don't have to make themselves feel better about all the blessings you do have. But don't take the bait of offense. Trust Yah and ignore the haters. Don't allow mockers to make you rush to your promise because sometimes if we get the promise too soon, we will ruin it. You have nothing to prove to anyone. Wait on Yah. Ancient Hebrew culture was not about what you believe, but about what you did. And Abraham and Sarah physically left their environment and crossed over. And that's what I love about them. At first, Sarah laughed at Yah's promises. And then at the end, she laughed and rejoiced with Yah when his promise was fulfilled. Sarah and Abraham, as a couple in transition, were not only crossing over into a new land, but crossing over from idolatry to worship of the one true well, crossing over from barrenness to fruitfulness. Sarah's transitional journey teaches us a great deal. Some of the lessons I get from the life of Sarah are, don't despise the transition. Transition periods are very critical, and it's our successful journeying through a transition that will set us up for a new phase of blessing in our life. Don't despise your family of origin. Yes, Sarah and Abraham came from an idolatrous father, but they were able to build lives of worship and truth. Don't despise the journey and sojourn. Sarah and Abraham spent a lot of time journeying, but I believe even through their encounters with the kings when they were deceitful, Yah taught them something about integrity throughout their journey. Answer Yah's call. Drop everything that hinders you. Traditions hurt, pain, and follow him. Cross over immediately if he's telling you to leave where you are to come up higher than him. in him. Sarah is indeed an example that is never too late to give birth to your destiny. And so I wanted to just share some highlights of what I've learned from the life of Sarah, our Hebrew matriarch and our queen mother. Truly, Sarah shows us that Yah is always on time. Please note that the congregation I attend, Bethel the House of Yahweh, has switched from a one-year Torah reading schedule to a three-year Torah reading schedule so we can spend more time with the text. So in light of this, we will be following this schedule moving forward. Basically what this means is that instead of reading three to four chapters of, of Torah per week, you will be reading one chapter. To obtain a copy of the one-year Torah reading schedule, you can email info at propheticworldwind.com. I also encourage you to follow Prophetic Worldwind on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter, where I also post the weekly Torah readings before um, taping the episodes of Practical Torah, and I also post the replays of Practical Torah, which are available on iTunes under Practical Torah or on YouTube on the Prophetic Worldwind YouTube page. I hope as we continue this year of Torah reading, 
that like Sarah, we will be people of transformation. May y'all bless you and keep you. May y'all make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May y'all turn his face towards you and give you peace. Rebirth Radio is a project of Hebrew Nation Building, a ministry to awaken, prepare, and restore y'all's people. To learn more, visit rebirthofanation.info or propheticworldwind.com. And remember, if it ain't practical, it probably ain't Torah. Shalom.